welcome to this Archives of Disease and Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition podcast. This is a very special edition of the podcast where we have a roundtable discussion on the theme of laryngeal masks in neonatal practice. And we talk to a number of authors from uh, recent reviews, a letter to the editor and uh, a paper uh, discussing changes in intubation practice and how we should overcome those. Uh, and the authors will uh, introduce themselves. As always, you can find the podcast where you normally download your podcasts from, Apple Podcasts or Google. Uh, SoundCloud also has some links available and you can download and link to the podcast through the ADCFN uh, webpage. As always, please comment uh, if you'd like to get involved with the discussion and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to this Archives of Disease and Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition podcast. Um, so Joyce, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, um, thank you for inviting me to talk on this. And uh, Joyce O'Shea is my name. I'm a consultant neonatologist in Glasgow and I have a long-standing interest in airways and intubation and laryngeal masks and all things like that. Okay, thanks Joyce for, for being with us. I think this is your second podcast, so uh, welcome back. Thank um, you. Callum, do you want to, to say hello and introduce yourself? So thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate the invitation as well. Uh, my name's Callum Roberts. I'm a neonatologist and a clinician researcher based at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, and I have a major interest in resuscitation and respiratory support, both in terms of clinical practice and, and uh, research. Uh, and uh, I'm currently leading uh, what we hope is going to be an important trial in this area. You're very welcome. And uh, Charles, last but not least, uh, if you want to just introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks very much, Jonathan. Great to be here with you all. Um, I'm a neonatologist um, in Bristol, and I'm an academic uh, with an affiliation with the National Perinatal Epidemiology Unit in Oxford. I have a very strong interest in neonatal resuscitation airway management, and I'm also um, part of the European Resuscitation Council and um, the scientific chair for the newborn life support guidelines for the European Resuscitation Council. And thank you very much and welcome back for your, I think this is your second podcast as well, Charles. Um, well, thank you all very much for for, for joining and we'll, we'll, we'll get stuck in. And Charles, if I can direct the first question to you, just thinking about the, the review yourself and Joyce wrote um, that appeared uh, online, I think in April, um, CF Emergency Neonatal Airway Management, Current Challenges and Potential Approaches. Perhaps just a little bit of background about how we've reached this point where airway adjuncts in neonatology has become such a hot topic, um, if, if that would be okay. Yeah, great question. And thanks very much for um, choosing me to, to give you the first answer for this. Um, I, I think in neonatology, we've all seen over the past 15 years, um, a trend to do far less invasive procedures and also including um, less invasive um, airway maneuvers, including intubation and, and mechanical ventilation. And this is, is clearly a very good thing. And um, it has started with uh, guidelines for the initial resuscitation of preterm infants to uh, be more CPAP and non-invasive focused than um, routine intubation and ventilation from delivery room onwards. And we um, have seen recent changes in the management of compromised term-born infants, like those born from um, meconium-stained lycor, where the guidance is now very clearly not to 
do airway maneuvers um, other than provide immediate and effective mask ventilation. So a significant proportion of a neonatologist trainee's daily work um, would have been to instrument and um, intubate babies with a laryngoscope and an ET tube. And these skills um, were in less demand with a higher um, a emphasis on a non-invasive approach. So um, the, the outcome of this is, um, if you if you like to say so, um, a de-skilling of the workforce um, in intubation skills. And wh whilst this is clearly a benefit for the infants not to be intubated left, right and center, the paper that uh, Joyce um, wrote with uh, trainees from Glasgow and um, the Oxford Deanery highlighted uh, the lack of opportunity to do invasive airway maneuvers um, on, on actual patients um, for a training period, which it, it is, needs to be highlighted. And we as um, senior clinicians we also get less opportunity to um, remain our skills in um, by you know actual um, clinical practice. So there is a need to um, address how we can keep these essential skills up, and also how we can um, improve training on a non-clinical subject like a, like a mannequin. But the the uh, long or the short is that we also need to find more effective devices which. Um, bridge between the provision of mask or prong CPAP to endotracheal um, intubation and ventilation. And I think the journey that we're on is um, it's all centered around being kind and careful um, to patients in order to prevent harm, but also to have uh, a workforce that has the equipment and the skills to adequately support patients in need. Thank you very much. That was a very um, detailed answer. And uh, I, I suppose it would only be right to, to ask Joyce if she has a, a view or anything she'd like to add to that. Oh, just I'd, I'd agree with what Charles has been saying. We have we have seen firsthand that number of intubations has decreased steadily. Um, and the number of intubations per trainee has gone from what 20 years ago when I was starting, you would probably as an SHO have ranked up 10, 20 intubations a week. Now our trainees will do very, very well if they will get five intubations in six months. And we know the situation that is the most challenging is the emergency non-premedicated unanticipated intubation or resus situation that could lead to an intubation. Um, I do very much think that for middle grade trainees, they don't have enough of experience intubating anymore to be comfortable and competent intubating in that emergency type situation. And this is very much where we need alternative approaches. Um, and we have questioned whether or not intubation should be a mandatory competency for um, junior trainees anymore. Thank you. And I suppose um, I could direct people to your wonderful um, 99 NICU webinar that discussed that, um, which was a great joy to listen to. In your review article, and it brings me on to sort of Callum a little bit, um, you talk a lot about uh, laryngeal masks as being an, an adjunct that might provide a um, an alternative for, for intubations. And, and certainly, I suppose, intubating the neonate started off as a life-saving procedure when it was first when it was first attempted um, back in the, the realms of time and then became something that caused lung injury once we discovered that ventilating small babies for a long period of time that, that that's what happened um, and 
the ET tube was an opportunity to provide surfactant um, for baby, again, another life-saving uh, therapy in, in neonatology. And just to go to Callum, um, you've written a lovely review article on uh, laryngeal masks and surfactant administration. I wonder, not wanting to to trivialize that review, but could you summarize sort of where we are in, in neonatology in terms of how people have thought about the LMA and what people have been using them for, perhaps what the limitations are and where we are at in terms of the evidence that we've accumulated so that the people know when and how to use these, these devices. Uh, yeah, as, as, as you've kind of suggested, the um... LMAs or supraglottic airways, uh, which are terms which people tend to use fairly interchangeably now, um, have been around in neonatology for, for some time, but really haven't found the same kind of foothold as they have in some other specialties, in particular thinking of uh, anesthetics, where in that environment they're almost ubiquitous. In the first instance, they were looked at as a resuscitation device, and uh, there were a number of randomized trials performed uh, assessing those devices. It has to be said the majority of those uh, trials tend to be performed in lower middle income settings as opposed to in higher income settings. And uh, they haven't really uh, become as widespread simply because the face mask has been around, I think, for so long and is so widely taught and recognized amongst the neonatal community. Uh, what those studies that have compared the two approaches have shown uh, is generally either similar outcomes or, in fact, um, a suggestion of an advantage towards the LMAs, uh, and that some studies have shown a reduced uh, risk for endotracheal intubation when that is used rather than a face mask. There's one particularly important uh, study that came out at the end of last year that didn't quite make it into our review, simply because we'd already written it uh, and had it accepted for publication by then, uh, which is by a group led by Nicholas Pejovic, uh, who's based in Stockholm, but who uh, he and his group conducted this trial in Uganda. Uh, it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and they compared face mask uh, and supraglottic airway as the initial mode of resuscitation in more than a thousand babies. And the primary outcome they assessed there was, uh, as I recall, either death or uh, moderate or severe HIE uh, diagnosed after NICU admission. And it didn't show an advantage, but what it did show essentially was equivalence of the two treatments. I think it was approximately 25% was the event rate in, in each group uh, and with no suggestion of any uh, safety concerns either. Um, so um, in that setting, at least, we would look at the LMA uh, as a resuscitation device and suggest that it's probably at least equivalent uh, to the face mask. Uh, so that's really the thinking on initial resuscitation at birth. Uh, of course, the focus of, of our review, which, which you mentioned uh, published in archives, is really looking at surfactant administration. And that is something which has been uh, somewhat less well examined. There's um, six randomized trials out there, but a total of about 350 babies. So um, enough evidence that it's meaningful, but probably not enough evidence that it's really convincing for the majority of people, rightly so. Those trials have either compared supraglottic airway surfactant administration against continued CPAP. Uh, and in that setting, uh, the use of a supraglottic airway to administer surfactants resulted in a reduced risk of need for mechanical ventilation, uh, cutting that risk by about a half. Um, or in the other setting, they have compared supraglottic airway surfactant against 
uh, intubation for a surfactant. So the insure method primarily, intubation, surfactant, and extubation. And actually very similarly, um, in those trials, uh, if you look at the pooled event rates, the use of a suprabiotic airway to administer surfactant resulted in uh, reduced risk of intubation, again, by about half. So the data that we do have are pretty promising. Um, again, there in those studies were, were no particular safety concerns raised. Um, but we would, uh, of course, argue that a really definitive large-scale trial is needed before we would really recommend moving outside of the research setting and into uh, true routine use. Um, and that's something which we're trying to step in and, and fill uh, that evidence gap with a new study at the moment. That seems as good a time as any for you to perhaps just, if you're happy to tell us about that study so that people know what's, um, what, what's happening. Yeah, so very happy to. Um, keen to get the word out. Uh, so this is a trial called the SurfSup trial, um, and it's recently started uh, recruitment in the past few months in our centre in Monash. And uh, Joyce is uh, heavily involved in this as well, and we hope that she and some of her um, nearby units uh, in Glasgow and surrounding Scotland will be able to get up and recruiting soon. The premise with this study is that we're looking at babies who are born preterm, who are more than 1,250 grams birth weight and who are receiving CPAP and in more than 30% oxygen. So uh, in that group where we would typically be looking to treat with surfactant. And what we're going to do is randomize them to one of two treatment groups. The intervention group uh, involves administering the surfactant down a supraglottic airway device. And the control group um, utilizes what is the current standard, at least in our participating units, which is minimally invasive surfactant treatment uh, using a thin catheter. And the primary outcome that we're assessing uh, in this trial is either the need for repeat surfactant or for intubation and mechanical ventilation within 72 hours. Um, so just up and running in our center recently. So really just a handful of infants included so far. We're eventually going to need slightly more than 760. Um, so we are keen to get more centers up and running soon. Uh, and uh, we hope that that's going to really, you know, definitively answer, I guess, at least the question of how supraglottic airway surfactant compares to mist, uh, which is the current standard in many units. I suppose that brings us on to, to Joyce's uh, letter in the, the current print edition of Archives, uh, which describes a quite a large case series of, of babies who received surfactant by a laryngeal mask. Joyce, you want to just tell us about um, what you've what you've published and your sort of experiences. And I think the thing that I find interesting in the, on the back of what Callum says that the, the size of babies seems to be a lot smaller than has previously been published. Um, okay, so I think you're referring to our, our case series of our first 60 babies that were treated with LMA surfactant within Glasgow. Um, that This came on the back of many years of intubation research and the fact that I, I firmly believe we are struggling to produce um, consistent intubation skills universally. And we work between a level three and a level two unit and staffing is an ongoing issue. And in particular, if you have to ventilate babies in the smaller unit, that's a big problem. Um, well, I also do do sessions with, with neonatal transport and we're seeing time and time again now, babies being transferred out because their, their local unit can't ventilate them to give them surfactant, can't do mist to give them surfactant. So it did get me very fascinated as to, you know, if this 
method giving surfactant through an LMA or supraglottic airway works and is safe and effective, it could solve many problems there. So we did a huge amount of work before introducing this. Um, at the time, our unit was not giving mist or not giving mist routinely. Um, and we were still intubating them when they hit 40%, but we were looking to bring that threshold down. So we were already using supraglottic airways as a recess um, adjunct and using them very successfully and, and not seeing any problem with um, their safety or, or being able to teach people to put them in. So we very cautiously introduced it into standard of care in late 2018, December 2018. And we did it pretty much as a, as a, a pilot study where we um, did tell families we were we were doing things off label here and we were doing it with, with our protocol and we explained why. And we have treated now, I think, about 120 babies. And we have found that it is very easy to learn. We have found that it's tolerated very well by babies without pre-medication. They get sucrose and atropine, but they do not get any fentanyl or they do not get any muscle relaxants or any other sedation. Um, we have found pretty consistently the whole way through that there's between 70 and 80% of them have resolution of their RDS and um, with a single dose of, of LMA surfactant. We don't give, or we give a handful maybe of second doses, but we don't give that routinely. We're still kind of feeling it's early days and we're finding our way. And we have found this to be a, a good technique. I'm, I'm not recommending that it goes into standard care just yet. I firmly agree with Callum that this needs to be tested against mist, which is very much now the advocated as the standard of care. But I do have big concerns that mist is a difficult skill to learn, in particular in smaller units where intubation is not routinely practiced much anymore. Um, so I, I see LMA surfactant as a very promising technique, and I'm very excited about the opportunity to, to test it in a large trial. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I'm, and I hope that Callum will provide us with a link so that people can have a look at the trial and and, and get involved. And um, you raise a number of very um, interesting points in terms of training and keeping babies close to their families in small units and reducing neonatal transport. Um, a couple of practical questions to you all. I mean, um, reading through everything that everybody's written, it, it seems that there is a lowest threshold of babies who, who can get have an LMA and the current size of LMAs and type of LMAs. Is that is that a is that a problem for the, the routine treatment of all babies? Or is this a incremental, um, is there an incremental movement sort of down the gestation and size? Um I, I don't know who feels that they would like to, to answer that. Maybe Joyce, if, since since you answered last. So the currently available LMAs are licensed down to the use of two kilos. And their use is recommended in recess guidelines down to 1500 grams. And they've been used within randomized trials down to a kilo. And um, now the number of babies at the smaller end of that spectrum is, is low. There's case reports using their, their use and um, going down to 640 grams, 680 grams, I think. So at the moment, um, we our protocol goes down to 1.2. 25 kilos in the study um, and 1.2 kilos in our protocol. Um, I, I don't feel at the moment LMA surfactant is for all babies. I think there are babies that are too small for the current masks. But with our centralized model of in, in the UK in particular, we centralize the delivery of the, the very small babies to level three units, but there's still a lot of babies in level two units. And I think these are the units that are arguably struggling the most with intubation. And there's still a lot of babies being treated with surfactant in those settings. And if we can solve it in that setting alone, 
I think that's a big step forward. I do very much think we still need tinier masks that could in the future treat all babies, but again, they'll need to be tested in a similar way. But the fact that it's not for everyone just now doesn't mean that there's not groups that would benefit very much from this treatment if it is proven to be um, non-inferior to MIST. And again, just another practical question. Can all LMAs, uh, can you put surfactant down all LMAs? I suppose I haven't had discussions with some people in our own department. Do they all have the right uh, ports and holes that the surfactant will go in the top and come out the bottom? Or I guess are all LMAs created equally or are there some that have advantages over other ones? I'm not looking for branding or anything, just are, are, are there things that people need to look out for? Um, there are trials that have looked at a variety of different LMAs and there's not been a superior model has, has come up. Um, we, we talked to other trial authors and we saw what people were using and that was what, what led us to using the eye gel and that doesn't need an inflatable mask at the top. So we, we chose that one, but there is a variety that you can use. We like the idea that babies can breathe in the surfactant themselves and be um, receive CPAP while they're getting the surfactant slowly. So we attach it to a, a neopuff with a, a ductile port that you can give surfactant through the LMA while um, the baby is still breathing as opposed to just disconnect and squirt it down. And um, so there's a bit of a circuit to put together there, but uh, you know that, that's easily possible. And if I'm right, there is a video attached to your letter which shows the delivery of surfactant via LMA. There is indeed. Jonathan, I think it's really important um, to highlight that what, what Joyce said, it, it, the use of LMAs um, has sort of moved from being only, only used in an emergency as a, a last resort kind of approach to, to stabilizing an airway. Um, and we're now trying to um, get evidence uh, through uh, I mean, Joyce's great uh, case series and Callum's RCT to see how effective and safe these are. So um, early days for us neonatologists, but um, I, I cannot highlight this um, with any more emphasis. Over the last 10, 15 years that the, we've seen LMA um, being advocated. Um, I think they were first mentioned in the ERC guidelines in 2005. And uh, Daniela Trevisanuto from Padua in Italy, um, also a co-author on that mentioned New England paper, um, ha has illustrated how, how beautifully uh, they can be used for all sorts of settings. And um, um, the, the, the shortfall is, the, if I may say so, the industry that um, you know, I can only urge to focus on uh, developing smaller masks with us neonatologists, because uh, as Joyce has shown in, in I think, a, a case report, you can ventilate for a brief period of time. Um, Daniela Trevisanuto has also published on this. It, it won't be the magic bullet for, for any airway compromise, but uh, for, for short-term need, um, like surfactant delivery or a brief period of ventilation, um, it's a great device. But we, we need to get good data from randomized control trials and big case series to advocate this and, and train people up properly. But we need good devices, first and foremost, for smaller babies as well. That's great, Charles, and that's a, a great comment, I think, to, to leave the discussion at um, more data and more support from industry, I think, is probably two very um, solid themes for, for neonatal research. 
Well, thank you all very much for that um, really in-depth discussion uh, on, on the theme of, of airway adjuncts and laryngeal mass specifically. Um, I'll do my best to uh, make sure that uh, all the the, the information is attached to the bottom of the podcast um, recording that people can easily access through links, um, the three papers that we've discussed and the other papers that, that have been mentioned in, and including uh, Joyce and Callum's um, uh, trial information uh, if people want to get in contact. Um, and it's only uh, for me to say thank you all very much again for that really wonderful conversation. If people want to interact with the, the, the podcast or, or contact any of you, I do believe you all have Twitter handles. Um, I can't remember them all off the top of my head. If you want to just shout them out, uh, Joyce, do you want to go first? At O'Shea underscore Jem. At O'Shea underscore J-E-M. Yep, and Callum? I'm uh, at Callum the Roberts. Uh, and also to mention that the Surf's Up trial actually has its own Twitter handle, which uh, as I recall is just at Surf's Up trial. Um, so feel free to have a look at that one. It has a link to the trial registration website uh, as well. And Charles, your Twitter handle? Mine is at CCROEHR. Excellent. And um, you can interact with the journal at ADC underscore FN and I'm at Jonathan underscore Davis 3. Again, thank you all very much. And I look forward to hearing what people have to say uh, about uh, the use of LMAs in, in, in small babies. Thanks again. <laughs>